wanskamentality.com, W-A-N-I-S-K-A mentality.com. 31 Thoughts, the podcast is brought to you by the GMC Sierra AT4. Today, a special edition of the podcast, our conversation with Devin Buffalo. We sat down with Devin last week to talk about his life. Devin was born in Wetaskiwin, Alberta, is a member of the Samson Cree Nation. He's a goalie, played at Dartmouth and in the ECHL, and now through his company, Wanska Athletics, assists other native youth in pursuing their dreams of playing hockey. He's a motivational speaker and someone we think you'll really enjoy hearing from here on the podcast. But the stories, his stories, are at times hard to hear. But it's important that we do. You know, Eddie Robinson is an Indigenous speaker. I really enjoy and appreciate listening to him. And one of the points that he always stresses when people ask how can they help, he says, before you can help, listen. Listen to the stories, as horrible and shameful as they may be, it's important that understanding and empathy is reached before true reconciliation can be achieved. I believe that. Elliot. Jeff, I'm not going to take a lot of time here. I think this podcast is about Devin Buffalo, uh, his stories and his words and his way of telling them. But I did want to say that as a 50-year-old Canadian, I think it's really a shame that I didn't know what I needed to know about the history of the Indian residential schools in this country. May 28th, the remains of 215 children found buried near the Kamloops Indian Residential School in British Columbia. June 4th announced the discovery of 104 potential graves near the Brandon Indian Residential School in Manitoba. June 25th, as many as 751 unmarked graves in Saskatchewan. And June 30th, 182 unmarked grave sites discovered near the St. Eugene's Mission Residential School in British Columbia. We need to know this. It must be part of the grade school curriculum for all of us in this country. We need to know our history and we need to understand it, whether we are indigenous or not. Elliot, I agree 100%. Also, you know, learn the history of indigenous players and their contributions to the game. We know a lot about people like George Armstrong and Jordan Tutu, the Nolans, Kerry Price, uh, Zach Whitecloud, Michael Furlan, Travis Hamonick, Craig Berube. But take some time and learn more about people like Fred Sasakamoose. Learn more about Buddy Miracle, the first Indigenous player in the history of the game, 1931 New York Rangers. Learn more about Joe Benoit and Johnny Harms and Jim Jameson. And in the meantime, enjoy our conversation with Devin Buffalo. Elliot, today our guest is Devin Buffalo. Devin is a member of the Samson Cree Nation, born in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. He's a goaltender, he's a motivational speaker, and he's someone whose work with First Nations youth has drawn praise from all corners. Devin Buffalo joins us now. Devin, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? 
I'm doing great. I'm really excited to do this interview. So thank you for having me. Let's see how you feel in about 25 minutes. I think 25 might be too long. Let's see how you feel after a cozy five. Uh, we have a lot we want to get into here with you, and we're going to try to get in as much as we can because you have a spectacular story and you're a really distinguished person, not just goaltender. But I want to start by talking about goaltending because the choice to become a goaltender, I think, is different for everybody. Some, they see a goaltender make a big save on television or at a game, and they say, I want to do that. For others, it's, well, I had three older brothers and they all played and they needed a kid to stand in net and, uh, and act as a target. What was it for you, Devin? Why did you become a goaltender? Well, it was partly the second one. I had five older brothers, but the opposite. Four of them were goalies. We had one D-man in our family. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, my uh, I hated goalie when you're young and you don't have the pads and you go in the net with the goalie stick and I yep. hated doing that. <laughs> Hated. I, I wanted to score goals. And after a bit, my dad came home with some pads. And he's like, here, try these out. And we had a native provincials. It's called the Big Alberta Tournament mm-hmm. for native communities. And I was pre-novice. And, uh, you know, he strapped the pads on me. I said, I'll try it out and went out there. And I hated it. Like I, I hated the <laughs> expectation. I remember letting in goals in practice, everyone getting mad at me. You know, And, and we were pre-novice. And these kids were ripping me apart saying I sucked. So it wasn't, it wasn't a good experience. And I yeah, went right back into a the player and our goalie moved or something. So we had no goalie for a lot of games. So I was like, all right, like I have the stuff. I guess I'll go net. And I never looked back. Hang on, hang on. Four brothers who played goalie? Yeah, in one season. So I think some might have played a few seasons only and retired early. But right. in one season, we had all five of us, I guess, were goalies. Yeah. How did your parents handle that? I know a lot of parents of goalies and they're nervous wrecks. So to have so many. Oh, they're the worst. How were they? The oldest three are like 10 years older, eight years older, and seven. So there's a big gap there, right? So I think my dad was the one that was mostly in the rink at a young age. And then when I became a goalie, my mom was was really nervous. So I think she, she really, I, I was, I'm the youngest. So I guess I was a baby and she, she freaks out when I'm in that. <laughs> Goal, goalie moms really do hold a special place in hockey. Those are the people that I feel for most at any youth or, or minor hockey game. As we've talked about before, you know, a forward makes a mistake. Sometimes nothing happens. A defenseman makes a mistake. Nothing happens. A goalie makes a mistake. There's a big celebration, a red light goes off and mom feels awful and your heart breaks like i've always maintained evan like there is a special place in hockey and we should always celebrate it for the goalie mom tell me about your goalie mom oh she's amazing she was a school principal when i was growing up and then she went back to school went for her uh psychology so now she's a school guidance counselor out in samson samson Cree nation so you know having that support in my life was really important i i, I talk about that because my parents were very supportive and i was blessed i guess to to have the support of parents and my mom always allowed me to you know live life i guess and not let me you know fail at times and succeed on, at times i remember i was really into skateboarding <laughs> like i was a diehard <laughs> skateboarder balancing my hockey and skateboarding my i played spring hockey or summer hockey so my dad always said don't get hurt don't get hurt doing that you know so i was <laughs> i could never do the crazy tricks that i wanted to i wanted to get sponsored and everything and that opportunity did come up when i was like 13 finally i made the decision all right, what's it going to be, hockey or skateboarding? And I, I chose hockey and I quit skateboarding. So I think I made the right choice there. But just the funny thing is like my mom, my dad, like were allowing me to, you know, kind of if it was me, if it made me happy to be a skateboarder, they would have let me. I was bullied a lot in school. And we can talk about this later, but just quick 
I worked really hard in school and in junior high, I was bullied and I actually wanted to move back to my hometown and go to high school. And I told my mom, I don't want to be a smart kid anymore. I just, you know, I want to just go under the radar. You know, I don't want to be a 90s or honor roll student. I just want to, you know, classic 60s, 70s. And and she was going to allow me and she allowed, you know, she didn't say like, nope, you got to be a, you know, an honor roll student or, you know, but my first test I failed, I hated it. <laughs> that was not fun. So I wanted to be, you know, successful in the, in the classroom. All right. There's a lot to unpack here from that answer, Devin. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, you mentioned your mother was a principal. You went to Dartmouth. So I understand now where this kind of all goes. You have parents that care a lot about education. And even though they tell you, you can be uh, either a goalie or a skateboarder, whichever you prefer, there's one thing that you're not going to have a choice about. That is your education. So, you know, I do want to talk about the bullying you faced and how you overcame it, because I think that's very important for a lot of people to hear. But, you know, first of all, I want to ask you about your path to Dartmouth. You didn't take a normal path that we often see. How did you get from point A to point B? You know, I could spend hours talking about this and I do presentations, so I do spend an hour talking about that, Hmm. but I'll I'll, uh, shorten it up pretty well. I was a short goalie. I was tiny and I probably didn't hit my growth spurt till I was 19, maybe 5'8". So it was tough to make teams. Making the AAA team, my AAA team would have been Leduc Oil Kings just outside of Edmonton. But I got cut from that team multiple times and played my minor hockey in Wetaskiwin. We had an A, but we called it double AA, <laughs> double A team. So I was never the player, you know, you always have in these small towns, one or two players, you're like, these guys are going to make the NHL or these guys are going to play good hockey. And you know, I don't think anyone really expected myself to go far in hockey. And I didn't expect myself to go far in hockey. And my brother, Houston Buffalo, he signed up, didn't know, he signed. He registered for a, a junior A camp in Prince George, Spruce Kings, I think they were called. He shows up out of Pinoca minor hockey, Pinoca AA midgets. He actually signed up for the like walk-on WHL camp, the Cougars. So he goes to the Cougars <laughs> camp, uh, you know, off right off the reserve and goes to this Cougars camp. And he he shocks everyone and he actually ends up being like the last cut. And I remember watching him as an <laughs> eight-year-old. And just being so proud, seeing this big bus and just, and he almost made it. And it was so, but like to us, he made it, he made the WHL and, and around Alberta, that's everything, the WHL, like that's what everyone wants to play. And mm-hmm. the pressure to play there is really high in the Bantam draft. You know, when I was 15, I was, you know, so skinny and tiny that I would look at myself. I'm like, how the heck are people getting drafted to the WHL, you know, from mm-hmm. here? Like, how do you know what kind of hockey player you're going to be at 15? But anyways, so the WHL wasn't knocking on my door. I think uh, I was just trying to make the junior A team. First, I was trying to make midget AAA, which I did my third year midget in Leduc. Did really well. Ended up taking the starting job, getting some junior A interest from BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. I, and that's the kind of how I looked at it, right? I wanted to go to BC, Port Alberni, but the coach said I would have to, you know, we already have two goalies. You're going to have to beat out a goalie, which, you know, at that age, you you don't want a for sure thing, but you kind of want some confidence because once you pick a team, you pick a team, right? The other teams pick their goalies. So then I went to Alberta, St. Albert, and they, same thing, work really hard to be the backup. But Saskatchewan, Flynn Bombers, Mike Reagan, he, uh, I go to his camp because one of my teammates went to the camp and he told me straight out, like, we're taking two rookie goalies, you battle it out. And that was the best opportunity I thought. I signed with the Flynn Bombers. I loved it. 
love the people, love the rink, love the history. From there, you know, Mike Reagan does a really great job. And it's like the Brooks Bandits, you know, the scholarship uh, factory is uh, Flin Flon's getting that name, which is amazing. And at the time, the SJ was considered like a WHL kind of people who didn't make the WHL would go there. And but now it's becoming a really great place to go get a scholarship. And that's what I wanted to do. And I know you'll probably want to unpack this, Elliot. I was in high school and I asked someone that worked in the school or they asked me where I wanted to go to school. And and there was a racist incident in midgets, actually. And I know I'm going, I'm overstepping a bit, but this no. is kind of the whole path. Uh, tell me if I need to stop and we can unpack some things. But by all means, in midget, we were in playoffs and this guy was, you know, in warmups. He was at the red line and he was bent over, you know, trying to talk to me like, you know, in warmups, people go stretch close if they know their friends and buddies. And so I go and I'm like, this guy wants to say hi. I don't really know him. So I take off, you know, lift up my helmet and say, what's up? Like, how's it going? And he's like, said mumble something that he couldn't really hear. So I listen closer and he says, you're another effing Indian. And that's what he said. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant Another India, Like, that's what I speak of now when we're Indigenous players. There's going to be a time when you do face a racism. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you will face it. And if we don't provide any tools, if we don't talk about it, no one talked about racism really in my life leading up to that moment. And to be honest, like, it didn't mean anything to me because I was like, what does that even mean? I'm an Indian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am an Indian. But uh, what does that mean? And so I was thinking back at it, I didn't even feel mad, but I did, you know, I didn't know what to feel. I guess that's the point. And there was another, my friend was on the team and I told him and, you know, he goes out there and two hands his ankles and starts a big line brawl. And the guy, he got removed from our team, our coach removed him, but I don't think there was a moment he said what happened. And at that time, no one really spoke out against racism. So anyways, from then on, I kind of made it my mission, I guess, to flip the script and flip that negative stereotype of what is an Indian what you're just another Indian so I was wanting to really figure out what that meant you know and the stereotypes we face playing hockey I always had to deal with them and overwork and you know make sure they knew I was a really respectful and you know go the extra mile for sure and so there was two things I wanted to accomplish obviously to make the NHL and then uh, also knew education was going to be a big role because I knew I wasn't the best hockey player. So I would have to balance that with education. And no one was really doing that at the time, kind of in my community. We had really great role models who were great at hockey, but they were just great hockey players, like off the ice, you know, got into some trouble, like not great students. So that's where I really wanted to make a difference. Like I'm going to be a, you know, a great student, but at Harvard University, that's where I wanted to go just to prove to everyone what an Indian could do, right? Hmm. I, uh, that, those are my two goals. And when I talked to this person in the school, they said, you can't go there. <laughs> like, you can't go to an Ivy League school. And I didn't even know what an Ivy League school was at the time. I just knew Harvard. I had my dreams kind of cut short by uh, someone who was working in the school that really should have been supportive of me and my dreams. But they pretty much put my dreams in a box Said, hey, let's focus on getting you to school here. Let's do that first. And you're not going to go to Harvard. <laughs> and, uh, so I listened to him. But then I wanted to play junior A, go play Flim Flam Bombers. And I had a few different teams looking at me, including like Colorado College, North Dakota. So those were pretty big schools that my coach was like, yeah. And then timing of it all, it just made sense. Like the first team that like actually showed really interest was Dartmouth. And my coach called me in the office and says, do you, have you heard of Dartmouth? And I say, no, I haven't. Googled it. First line I read said Ivy League school. Boom. I was sold. And, and that's the hmm. school I wanted to go to. So there's a story about how they came to watch me. And I'll get to that later if you guys want to hear that, because that's a pretty good story, too. Yeah, hit us. Go. Yeah. So we go on this road trip and I asked my coach, like, when are they going to come watch us? And he says, this weekend, 
and we're, that weekend we were starting our road trip in La Ronge, Saskatchewan. And I, I wasn't a big fan of La Ronge because A, their rink was so, I don't know if you guys should definitely go visit La Ronge. It's, the rink is very, the glass goes up and across and that's the roof. So like, it's a, like a box and they always had a huge team. And I know Bob Beatty was a coach and he would always get his players from Quebec and they would just beat a beat on us. <laughs> and we would always lose like eight, one, eight, nothing. <laughs> And I, I won the game, I got pulled twice. And they were our closest team from Flintfound to LaRange. That's our closest in like in a geographical location. So it was just, we always battled it out, always got beat on. And uh, and the worst part is every goal that they score, they throw fish on the ice. Like these, they're spineless fish. So the, I forget what the word is, but you know, they're huge. And they just throw probably 10 or 15 of these on the ice, every single goal. And that takes a long time to, you know, clean up <laughs> and it's all out every goal. So by eight goals, they're still throwing that many fish. I was, I was like, where are you guys getting all these fish? Like, where, where are they coming from? But so given that Dartmouth was going to come watch me in this rink, I was like, oh my God, like this is the worry. Why can't they watch? We're literally going on a road trip. We're going to Saskatoon. Why doesn't he watch us somewhere down there? But the whole bus ride, I envisioned myself like not really winning the game, just being confident in myself, happy with my performance, shake the coach's hand and look him in the eyes and just know I did a great job. And we lost 4-1 which in front of a Dartmouth coach, four goals isn't the best, but I was able to shake his hand because I knew that wasn't eight. So that was a win for me. And I continue on the road trip and Saskatoon, that's where we kind of had our break where we get to go shopping, you know, have a day off because we're up in Flim Fun for a lot of the year. And he calls me, the assistant coach, John Rose, and he calls me and he says, we want you to come to Dartmouth, take you know, a couple of weeks to decide, tell your family, uh, after two weeks, if you don't make a decision, we'll have to move on because we need a goalie. And I say, okay, I'll uh, give you a call back. And he's like, okay. And then I call my parents. I tell them I'm going to an Ivy League school. And they were happy and I was happy. And then I hung up from them and then I called the coaches back. And I'm like, they were like, who is this? I'm like, Devin, you just called me. You're like, well, we gave you two weeks to decide. I'm like, well, all I need is five minutes. So I told them I was going to Dartmouth. And the amazing thing is they're like, call the head coach, just let them know. And I think that's cool. It's like the trust mm. there, right? You know, NCAA, it's like the assistant coaches do the recruiting. Like the head coach didn't have to see me, right? And I, I thought I would have to sell myself. I'm talking. And he's like, no, no, you're Devin. You're coming to Dartmouth. Like, I'll meet you when you get here. I can't wait. Like, that's the kind of the trust that they had in me, which was amazing. Yeah, you mentioned the Flin Flon Bombers there a second ago, and I know that's a big part. Like, obviously, that's a that's a big part of your story playing for the Flin Flon Bombers in the SJ, like a legendary team. And 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 I have to ask you about Reggie Leach. You know, one of the best goal scorers the game has ever seen. Just a, a remarkable human being who's not just a great hockey player, but a great person who's you know, as you well know, has you know turned his his life around. You know, has been sober for you know thirty years. How much were you aware of Reggie Leach when you became a, a Flin Flon Bomber? I was aware, like my dad, you know, watching him. And uh, still, I haven't met him, and I really want to meet him. I knew the history, right? Like, that's, uh, you know, the history that, you know, they won a Memorial Cup, which is cool, <laughs> before they were in the SJ. And mm-hmm. um, Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach, you hear all these names. And and then they go play for the, you know, Philadelphia Flyers, like from Flin Flon. So I do all the history. I didn't know too much about Reggie, but over the time, I knew, like, how much the town loves Reggie, you know, Bobby, yeah. like all the legends that it's in their hearts. Like it'll never change the the pride in that team. When I left, like, you know, packed the car at the end of the season and leave, people were stopping my car trying to like say bye and see you next season. Like it's, 
such a small town and that's what I wanted out of my junior hockey career and that's why mm-hmm. I went there was to have that pride in a team and that just the the Whitney form is absolutely crazy and I just love playing hmm. there. So Devin we're coming to a reckoning with uh, indigenous history in our country as you said before you're a motivational speaker now you mentioned Reggie Leach in your conversation there with Jeff. I'm wondering who were your heroes growing up and what is your goal with the youth of the country in terms of this is what I had growing up that helped me. This is what I didn't have, or this is what I had to face. I needed to overcome. And these are the lessons I'm going to share with you. Well, we'll talk about goalie style first. Like I loved Carey Price. I didn't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but I figured it was Carey Price. Yeah, Carey Price's style and then just making it effortless. And that was before, like I was at a time, now that's every goalie's trying to be like Carey Price, right? And that's kind of what I based my style on. I think my style was, I was a smaller goalie, so I couldn't really play like Price, calm and confident, just take the, the angle. I had to come out really far. Like people used to say I challenged too much because I would be way out of past the crease and trying to make the save, doing the splits. Over time, I was like, I need to work on some things. And that's who I tried to emulate was uh, Carey Price. And so those were kind of the goalies I looked up to. I know in my community, Stephen Wagner, he played for uh, Denver University from 96 to 99. He was drafted by St. Louis Blues. Then you have Alfie Michaud, played with Korea when they won the national championship with Maine in 96 again. So those are two goalies, native goalies that went the NCAA route. I didn't know too much at the time when I was going up, but two names, I definitely, two people, I definitely looked for mentorship as I was navigating college. Maybe my older brother, Houston, like just people that I really saw in the rink, I think were my heroes too. And then um, you ask what I'm trying to do, like Wanska Athletics, uh, that's my passion is Wanska means wake up and rise. Mm -hmm. So that's something I always thought I had was a good awareness when I was younger. My dad always talked about visualization when I was like 10. He's, He's a master in mind management so i didn't hmm. really know what that meant as a kid but hmm. um you know doing a uh, mind management stuff and hypnosis and like stuff that you know at times when i was a kid i didn't really want to tell anyone about because i was like that's kind of weird but having his skills he's a like a natural leader too he did serve on leadership in samson for a while so i think i get leadership skills from him for sure and he taught me visualization so when i was 10 i was visualizing things which most 10 year olds aren't you know when i was 13 i was visualizing how my life was going to be and it sounds funny but everything i've accomplished i visualized so making that triple a team i visualized wearing that triple a coat at school making the junior a team i visualized that and then getting a scholarship i visualized going to an ivy league school the big fancy gates and i when I talk to the kids, that's what I show is this method. We go through this method. Either, you know, you put yourself into the future. What do you see? And you actually write it down. What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you smell? So you go through all the senses. Ivy League school, I saw those fancy gates. I heard uh, accents, different languages being spoken around me. What do I feel? The grass when I'm doing homework on the in the, the green there. And then smell like those old books in the library. And every, I kid you not, every, every one of those aspects came true. And that's something visualization is key. Elite athletes are doing it all the time, but you know, it used to be hocus pocus, right? No one really paid attention to it. My first start was at Michigan, Yost Arena. We lost seven, nothing. And uh, this is my second year, my sophomore year. The coaches were like, we should have brought a third goalie. And, you know, they're like, Devin Buffalo, you know, Buffalo's here. (laughs) And I'm eating breakfast right behind them. And I'm like, oh, no, they're going to start me. We just lost seven, nothing. (laughs) And uh, they were upset that the other goalies missed breakfast. And, you know, you know, you can't miss things on the on the schedule there. So 
they were pissed off. They're like, we got to start someone. Who can we start? One of the coachable Buffalo's here. So they started me, and I was so nervous. I was that we were playing Kyle Connor's team, so they had a stacked team. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I don't know where we were ranked, but I was a third goalie. I went there for a nice hotel bed, a nice couple meals, <laughs> and um, and that's what I visualized. I visualized the color of their jerseys. They were gonna white wear white jerseys. You know, the crowd, what they hmm. you know NHL scouts in the crowd. How I was gonna feel after I made that first save? Where are they gonna shoot from? Where might they score from? But as soon as I went on the ice, that was the first time ever my legs were shaking, like absolutely shaking. I felt sick. I was so scared just of the production of Yost Arena. Like it was packed. Their student section was going, throwing newspapers at me <laughs> during the national hmm. anthem. Like I was definitely a di- an experience I've never faced before. But as soon as I made that first save, everything, you know, I went back to being a goalie, looked in the crowd, everything came true of what I visualized. So that's anyways, just a little something that I use daily. And that's something... I tell the students too, because I used to use it in classrooms, right? Visualizing what's going to be on the test. So anyways, that's just something that I think I add to the presentations that I learned from my dad. And that's the other thing is building those mentors growing up, the mentors that were in my life. I didn't really have direct connection with them. I didn't really, I heard about them. I could see them. And that's like, no one really used Facebook in those days either. So it was kind of hard to communicate, hard to have direct contact with mentors. So that's something I really wanted to build. And I call it Wanska Athletics, like I say, the rise of Indigenous athletes. Like, I'm kind of political. I'm kind of, you know, but that's the way I am. Because in hockey, you know, people say take out politics in hockey. And that must be nice if you can, because in you my can't. life, you can't intertwined you can't. and you can't. And so I'm proud of where I come from. I'm proud, you know, on my mask. I always have Native uh, images on it, on the back, Napegasowino. And that's a story too, Napegasowino, what that means in my life and that's what I painted on my helmet first in Flimflon and then at Dartmouth. And what does it mean? It means uh, to be a warrior. My brothers were in a, a car accident, two of them. And I remember I was in high school, got this call. My mom looked horrified, went to the hospital. And one brother was just getting ready to get airlifted to the to the U of A, which is when you're getting airlifted to U of A, it's not really a good sign. And mm-hmm. he was in a coma. The, the doctor said, like, you know, talk to him before he goes. And I didn't know what to say. I was young. And my dad went up to him and whispered like a Cree word four times in his ear. And I could, like, I kid you not, I don't know if it was the glue in his eyes, but I could see like tears running down his, his eyes. And they, they both recovered hundred percent. And besides like uh, some scars and whatnot, but they both recovered. And my, I asked my dad went to further down the line. I asked, what did you say that time? And he said, Nipegaso, Nipegaso, which means be a warrior. You're, you know, he was telling him it wow. wasn't his turn. Like you have a family, you have things to live for. Be a warrior right now. And and I really just thought that was powerful. And that's something I really wanted to take in my life. And I'm, you know, I wanted to be a warrior too. And that's the mentality I thought I had to have. You can't be a goalie at that level and just it's just another game. Like I know some goalies say that, but you really have to be focused and ready because there's so much on the line. I get, you know what I mean, like all these people came there to watch like you can't just go out there and lay an egg and get lit up every game right or else you're not gonna last so right at the national anthem i would read it out loud napegasowino 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 and then i would look at my parents initials and know you know that's the support i had and and have and napegasowino actually means like i'm gonna be the warrior so it's stating Hmm. like i'm not saying it to you but i'm saying it like about myself and so that's where that comes from so anyways i'm proud of my name i wanted all the times people walked into arena to know I was native, Buffalo on my name, I wore that proudly. That's what I kind of want to help 
facilitate like you know a lot of our indigenous youth right now are struggling finding their way and and not having the supports and a lot of them it's easier just to not be native right it would be easier and they they in their minds they think maybe i can do that but you can't right you mm-hmm. you're native and some shy away from that and i i really want to encourage them be proud of that it's a superpower it's like it's it's awesome and we got to be who we are and it, we're lucky to be native and it's a gift. So the rise of Indigenous athletes is that, is Wanska, like help these kids realize what it takes to, you can't just be a good hockey player. You have to have character. You have to have hardworking, you know, practices. You got to be respectful to coaches and teammates. And like you ask anyone on any team I played on and they all know I'm a good teammate and someone good to have on a team. And I, you know, I never won a championship. They say, if you don't win a championship or whatever, you're not a champion. But I always felt like I was a championship goalie but i just never won a championship in playoffs hmm. i always won playoff mvp in every team i played for but the wansk athletics that's what i want to instill is the education part because if we can be a great athlete and a great student you know opportunities are just gonna be out there and and the ivy league dream you know my dad was doing a speech he does that at community wellness he does speeches he was in samson muskochis and he was wearing a dartmouth hat and a little boy a little kid comes up and he's like dartmouth and he's like, Devin Buffalo plays there. And my dad's like, yeah, that's my son. And they're like, no way. Like, mm-hmm. it's just that now people know what Dartmouth is. Like, no one knew. What, I didn't know what it is. No one in my community knew. No one in, you know, around here knew. But now everyone knows Dartmouth College. And I think that's so cool. And I think that just opens up dreams. And the goalie camps I'm doing are wake up and rise. But these school talks were wake up and dream. And I think that's a cool kind of play on words. Wait, you, you know, we got to wake up mentally. And mm-hmm. we had, we, I think we, we had our right to dream taken away from us. And through colonization, even our own people don't support our dreams. So that's when you know colonization works is when we're very critical of our mm-hmm. families and friends. And so we got to wake up and dream. And if anyone dreams of playing in the NHL, let's get them there. I wanted to ask you about Carey Price in the playoffs right now. And it's it's not just the way he's playing, which is an elite, elite level. But for example, when they're in Winnipeg, he stops to support residential school survivors on his way while walking to one of the games. That's Price stopping to meet with residential school survivor Jerry Shingoose before game two between the Jets and Habs Friday night in Winnipeg. I told him I was a residential school survivor, and then he shared that his uh, grandmother went to residential school in Williams Lake, BC. I, I felt connected there. Shin Goose was sitting here outside of St. Mary's Cathedral, just a block away from Bell MTS Place when Carrie Price approached her, but she wasn't here to meet the players. She was actually here to meet Archbishop Richard Gagnon of the Archdiocese of Winnipeg. We did uh, advise him that in Canada, under federal law, when people or bodies are found, in this case children, somebody should be held criminally responsible for it. When seeking justice in a He does an interview with Kyle Bukoskis after they knock out Vegas to reach the Stanley Cup final, and he make sure to congratulate his mother, Linda, on her re-election. No fans at all. To be able to wave up to your family at the conclusion, what did that mean to you? Uh, I'm just excited for them. You know, it's, uh, it's just an amazing experience. I, uh, I don't even think they really realize what's going on yet. They're all really young, but, you know, my wife and my father are here, and, um, you know, obviously uh, my mom's watching at home. She uh, was just re-elected as chief, and, 
And I'm very proud of her as well. Dahuja Algacho. How much do you think that helps for young people? I was watching that and I was like, wow, you know, and then he speaks his language at the end. Like, yes, that gave me chills. That gave me shivers. It made me emotional. The suicide rate is so high in indigenous communities all over Canada. You know, I've had a lot of family members, a lot commit suicide. So, you know, it hits home. I did an interview with Ethan Bear. Well, not with him, but like on the same story back with the CBC or something back in uh, when I was playing in the East Coast Hockey League, they were talking about indigenous players playing professional. And that's and that was when Ethan was like in the AHL, almost on the cusp, right? And and I said, you know, once Ethan Bear plays on that blue line at Rogers Place, it changes everything, and it has like these kids who might you know have a tough home life or you know struggling or struggling in school. That's where they get their hope from, like that that little glimpse of when they walk by and maybe they're not having a good day, maybe they're thinking not so good at the time, and. And then they look on TV and there's someone that looks like them on TV. It changes everything. It changes their life. It changes their how they look at themselves. And that's amazing. That's like, and then you see like Brady Keeper, Zach Whitecluck was yep. going against Price. Like that is amazing. And Price speaking his language, taking the time to thank his mother. Like that is so powerful. I, I want to ask you about, you mentioned the rise of Indigenous athletes um, a second ago there, Devin. And personally, I think that the hockey world has done a poor job of recognizing indigenous contributions, even just say for the NHL. We do all know the story of Fred Sasakamus, but it's a lot deeper than that. Henry Buddy Miracle was the first indigenous player in the NHL, 1930-31. Most, if not all hockey fans are completely unaware of that. And that's a legendary team too. That's you know, with the breadline, Lester Patrick is the coach and he wore number 14. I always thought it was great that Theo Fleury wore the same number with the Rangers uh, when he played there. But there was also Jimmy Jameson and Johnny Harms and Joe Benoit and Clarence Abel. And all these are names that are lost in history. And there are only a few trying to keep these names alive. When you talk about the rise of the Indigenous athlete in hockey and going to the NHL, how much in the back of your mind at the same time are you saying, let's get more Indigenous athletes into the NHL and at the same time, let's go the extra mile here and uncover the Buddy Miracles and the Jimmy Jamisons and the Joe Benoits and make sure their stories are told too. I always talk about, you know, I love hockey. Hockey's given me so much in my life. All these opportunities were moving hopefully in the right direction, but I know the things I've been through and the, it's different from my non-Indigenous friends and what they go through. And the purest form of hockey is if you go to, you know, I go to Muscochis, go to Samson, we have a rink there and and usually throughout like lunchtime, there's just open ice, right? Or open ice after school. And I remember going to those skates with all my cousins and we would just play shinny. And maybe that's why native hockey players have such good hands is because we're just playing open ice, not really organized, just dangling. <laughs> like that's where we learned to toe drag. And that's where you go and you just see these kids, young kids, and they don't even know that they're native, you know, like they're just hockey players. And that they just play in this game because everyone around them is native like that they just know this the the love for the game and that's the purest form and then once they go off the reserve into the white communities they're too young to even know that racism is occurring to them not until an age where they understand and then it hits them like a ton of bricks so that's kind of what we need as a hockey community to try to fix and how i view it 
is that some coaches out there and some communities and parents, they have all these antiquated thoughts and beliefs about native hockey players. You know, they're lazy, they're disrespectful to authority, they're, they can't listen, they're really late for everything. Like, there's all these stereotypes and they still have those thoughts, right? I think that's important that if we're going to be the, the rise of Indigenous athletes and teach these youth, you know, respect and hard work and teach all these things, if we're willing to do that, on the other side, now we're doing that. We're going to camps being the you know great hockey players and great people, but we're still getting the same treatment and the same the racist uh, beliefs put upon us. And there's no change on the other side is what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. I think through Wanska, I, I want to help Indigenous youth, but I also want to go on the other side too and go to non-Indigenous schools, non-Indigenous camps. And part of the camps that I'm running, like I invite non-Indigenous goalies because it, like, it's awesome to build that connection, that relationship. I, I always think once they know you, then they'll, their thoughts kind of dissipate, right? That's kind of the idea around it. And and I'm working with different organizations against racism. There's a sporting justice collective in the states, bunch of academics that professors all across states that are studying racism in sports. So I'm part of that. And you know, different anti-racist policy paper. I don't know if you've read it, but that is a key paper. It was done by Queen's University, I think. So this anti-racist policy paper in hockey, I I forgot, it's a hockey thing. So Mm -hmm. before I knew there had to be change, but I didn't know specific things. Like, you know, people ask me, what do we need to change? And I know there has to be change, but like, those are the tough questions. What kind of changes? Grand anti-racism and hockey policy paper, you know, it, it lays out so many different things that are very important that everyone should be reading. Like, Hockey Association should make it mandatory for their, you know, members to read. Building these players up, getting them there is one step, but like you said, the second step and making them contributors to the community. You get your couple arena tickets and I was like, wouldn't it be awesome? Like, I know I'm not in the NHL, but to give these tickets to a native community so they can always come to these games because in the minors, like those are like people go to those games. That's their, that's the show for them. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I think is so powerful, like creating you know, these players that make the NHL and then they give back in a huge way. There's so much like opportunity for them to give back in a huge way. And, and, and they do, they do. I'm not saying they don't, but you know, once athletics, like I want to create like a fund or something to do things that these kids normally don't get to do and, and to give them the tools through mentorship. And that's the thing I want to build a bunch of mentors. And that's part of the gig, I guess, is to uh, give back through school speaking and showing up in the community and and doing all that. So, yeah. Before we wrap up the interview, I just wanted to mention uh, Bridget Laquette Mm -hmm. because I think it's important that uh, young girls have their role models pointed out and mentioned. Uh, She's done incredible things as a hockey player for the Canadian national team. But I wanted to ask you as well, Devin, about Ethan Bear. Mm -hmm. And sadly, after the Oilers were knocked out of the playoffs by Winnipeg, there were just some awful, awful comments made about him on social media. And for the young people that you mentor and you're trying to teach, what do you tell them about that and how to handle that? Yeah, Bridget Laquette, you know, she's doing excellent things, amazing things for the, you know, for the indigenous community, like the female community. And what happened to Ethan Bear, you know, it's so unfortunate, right? Like, it's like a blessing and a curse to play for the Oilers, I think. Like, no, I don't think there's ever been like a full treaty player that's played with the Oilers, right? So when he made the Oilers, everyone was supportive of him. And uh, around here, the Oilers are our team. That's my favorite team. That's my family's favorite team. Like, that's who we 
that we idolize. And for me, like for him to make that is just amazing, incredible to wear that jersey. And even when I played with Wichita, my Oilers, the Oilers emblem was on my shoulders or the Oilers logo. And I was just so proud. I took a mm. picture. I'm like, hey, I made an Oilers jersey. Ethan Bear, like that, that was amazing. When he did that speech, they should give him a platform. You know, you're not just a hockey player in our communities. You're more than that. And they need to be spotlighted like that. Like they need to speak up against these things more often, right? So just to see that that's a first, like a great step in the right direction, giving them the, you know, a chance to put a video out there. And I know how many kids probably watched that video and felt so much pride and sense of nationhood. And it was just amazing. And like I said, like, you know, Brady Keeper, Florida Panthers or Zach Whitecloud, Vegas Knights, no one like from here, that's not their favorite teams, right? <laughs> like, uh, So there's not as much criticism on them. You know, everyone's happy and proud. Yeah, they made the NHL. That's amazing. Like, but if they turn over the puck, no one says anything, right? From here and native communities, no one. It's all about the positiveness. So, it's all about the positive plays, and you know, just being there is is great. So that's how we have to really be objective and think about Ethan Bear. Like, we got to lift him up and be proud of him. We can't criticize and just the racism he's dealing with. I think when that happened, he has so much support. They had that rally outside of Rogers and that was unreal. And he sh- and he drove through it and everyone was just so happy. And he had a big smile on his face. All those, you know, public appearances and we should be rallying around that every game. Like I, we have two kids there and they just, they're starting hockey. And so I'm helping out the youngest one, you know, get his skates on and we're in minor hockey. I'm not going to say where, but as soon as he steps on the ice, he's just, he doesn't even know how to skate. And, all the coaches out there don't even notice him. And, you know, my girlfriend's banging on the glass, like, we should just get him off. This is, you know, this is embarrassing. Like, uh, you know, this is not good. And I'm like, it can't be that obvious. Like, the racism can't be that obvious, you know? And sure enough, like, right in front of my eyes, like, none of them wanted to help him. And I'm, you know, finally I banged on the glass. <laughs> and I was like, hey, help oh. out our mm. son there. And sure enough, they start helping. And then I realized one of the coaches were my friends. So as soon as he noticed me, you know, everything changed, right? But there was a couple coaches that still wouldn't. Or else this other time we signed up during COVID, we signed up for skills development. And, you know, there was two kind of areas, right? Rec and skill and uh, and competitive. And all the rec spots were taken. So I was like, well, it's just skills development. Like it's not team-based. So just sign them up for the top one, right? And I go into the dressing room and I just have everyone's eyes on me and I'm tying his skates and one kid at a time all question me, question me as a parent, like, are you supposed to be here? And they like say, uh, you know, you're at the so-and-so team, right? And I'm like, yeah, this is what we signed up for. So I was getting questioned by these kids and these kids, that's what they're learning, right? To be very critical of, you know, what they see and, and who belongs and who doesn't. So that just gave me a lot of insight this year. And that's, I'm just really wanting to, to do anything I can to really help that process. And, hmm. and that has to do with relationship building and getting into the minor hockey's you know, streams and talking to the parents and really letting them know, like, you have to welcome everyone and you can't be so critical of who belongs and who doesn't because hockey is for everyone. You're a great person, Devin. And uh, you're making this hockey space a lot better. Thank you so much for joining us today. Continued success. All the best with uh, with Wanska Athletics. Uh, you're clearly in the right direction. Uh, and you're going to do some great things uh, with a lot of your athletes. And we thank you for sharing some of your time today with me and Elliot. Thanks so much for this. I appreciate that. Uh, one one thing, uh, I, I, I'm I doing goalie camp. So I have one in Edmonton, one in Calgary. Well, Enoch Cree Nation, Satina Cree Nation coming up. We have Roddy Ross, who was drafted by Philly. Javon Cardinal 
who plays for the Juve Golden Bears and myself. So that's something I really am pushing for is to get these goalie camps and and really motivate these goalies because it's easier to be players for them, right? To get more playing time. It's hard to mm-hmm. navigate as a goalie. So I want to really make them proud to be goalie and to, and to stand tall. And there's other players I work with like Wacy Rabbit, Darren Reed, and Carly Nordstrom are a few names that I wanted to mention. They're doing awesome work in the player development and I'm trying to fill that other role of the goalie development. So thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. It was really amazing to share my story and to have the opportunity to tell you guys my story. That's amazing. I'm so happy. Yes. Pleasure is ours. And uh, by the way, Roddy Ross, really good goaltender with Regina. Oh, yeah. That's uh, He's a really nice goalie. Um, Devin, thank you so much again for this. We really appreciate it. Hi, hi. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Devin. We really appreciate it. We really want to thank Devin Buffalo for stopping by the podcast this week. Uh, you can visit him online, wanskamentality.com. That is W-A-N-I-S-K-A Mentality. Dot com information there about his speaking tours, uh, his camps, and also a way to touch base with Devon. Taking Us Out is an Indigenous-led rock, punk, folk band out of London, Ontario that's fronted by vocalist and songwriter Adam Sturgeon. Now, interesting fact about Adam. He was a first-round pick in the 2000 OHL draft. Rick Nash, Eric Stahl, etc. Also, Adam's dad, Peter Sturgeon, was drafted by the Boston Bruins, played six games with the Colorado Rockies, becoming the first person from the Yukon to play in the NHL. But back to Adam. His band, Status Non-Status, just released their new EP, 1, 2, 3, 4, 500 Years. The band has been carving out a name for themselves for over a decade in the Canadian music scene, but this is their first record under their new band name. With Find a Home, here's Status Non-Status on 31 Thoughts, the podcast.